So today, I wanted to show you some slides of Israel. And I want to start with this because we finally got our new projector. And I think, I'm hoping that these slides are going to come up in a way that everyone can see the details in the right color, with the right image. And uh, I've been wanting to show a number of slides for a while, so I'm going to start with just giving you a, a quick run-through of a few slides that will give you a little bit of context and reference for some of the things that we're going to talk about today. So in April of 2019, I visited Israel. I think everybody probably knows that. I had a wonderful trip. I went through the land with my Bible, alone with God, and I, I had a guide that brought me to the places that I wanted to go, and I spent time to really meditate on the things that I wanted to meditate on, and it was a, a richly, um, immensely blessed trip that I, that I had, and I just want to show you a number of slides. So this is the first one. Um, those of you that have been over there will know that the landscape increases and the elevation steadily as you go towards Jerusalem. And so as you're heading into Jerusalem, there's this big sign here and it says Jerusalem. This is a scripture text that actually hangs on the wall in the house of Caiaphas. So the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, um, there's incredible um, things about it in the scripture that we'll look a, li a little bit at, but I noticed that this verse, it really struck me, and I, I wanted to take a picture of it. It says that the servant of the Lord, because he surrendered himself to death and was counted among the wicked while bearing the sins of many and interceding for transgressors, it says God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That actually hangs on the wall in the house of Caiaphas today. Archaeologists discovered in the, in the basement of what was Caiaphas's house and the ruins of that day, they discovered that there was a prison cell. And that's super interesting because I believe that in this prison cell in Caiaphas's house, Jesus likely spent three or four hours in holding while the Sanhedrin were gathering together to put together their mock trial. This is what was uncovered in the basement of Caiaphas's house. These steps are authentic. They are historic. And these are the steps leading up to Caiaphas's house. And so when Jesus was arrested that night in the garden, he was taken over and to what is today Mount Zion, the, the upper city, and it's very, very likely that Jesus walked up these steps, and archaeologists uncovered them, and they say that these are authentic, dating back to the time of Christ. This is the field of blood. You remember in Matthew chapter 27, after Judas came in and he threw the, the silver pieces down on the floor and he said, I've sinned, I've betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See, that, see thou to that. And he went out and he hung himself. And with those silver coins, they bought the field of blood. It's super interesting that nobody builds on this spot. This is in a highly populated area of Jerusalem, which today and even back in that day, there's like the upper aristocrat of people that live in this area, but nobody builds on this spot, the field of blood. This is the Kidron Valley. So today you can see that the, the Temple Mount, which is really only the foundation, the beginning of it, slopes down into this valley and looking across to the southwestern point of the Temple Mount, is the Kidron Valley, which today is full of olive trees. This is Gethsemane. I wanted to show you this picture because 
In, in Gethsemane today, they have a, a corded off section that um, is really a place where a lot of people will go and, and is, is full of Roman Catholicism and worship and their statues. But this is an untouched area of the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's very likely that right in this area, Jesus would have wept and prayed. Some of these trees are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. And, and some of them are so wide, you could almost park a car in them. And this is one tree that caught my attention, this olive tree that's hundreds and hundreds of years old. You can see as you walk through the path in Gethsemane. This is at the bottom of Skull Hill. It says in the scriptures that when they came to the place which is called Calvary, Golgotha, the place of a skull, there they crucified him. This is what it looks like today. There's a fence around it with barbed wire, so you don't climb over it. Um, but it's, it's not a very big hill, but it is certainly shaped like a skull. And you can see some of the rock formation. That's me reading Luke chapter 23 and meditating on the place which is called Calvary. This is just outside Calvary in a marketplace, a very busy intersection where people are coming and going and selling all kinds of goods, almost oblivious to that incredible spot on planet Earth where the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for our sins. Again, another view of Skull Hill. These stones are in the basement of the fortress of Antonia, which is where Jesus was taken, and by the Roman soldiers, he was buffeted. They put a crown of thorns upon him and a, a purple robe, and they led him out. And these stones are authentic, dating back to that first century. And when you touch them, they're very, very smooth. And to me, it's just super interesting. David, you might be interested in this since you're interested in rock formation. And this is super interesting. But these right here are in the basement of the fortress of Antonia. There's a site there that they have today where Jesus was flogged. And there's a plaque that says this. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, scourged, the King James says. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in purple robe, and he went up again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. It's a plaque that's actually there today, and all the tourists that come by will, will see this. And the day that I was there, there was hundreds of people there. And I was just thinking, do they really know? Do they really understand? Do they get this truth? This is on the Via Della Rosa. The way of sorrows. The pathway that Jesus carried the cross. Down the city streets and out the gate. And on this plaque today, it says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then it says, Jesus is looking for someone who will humble himself as he did and lovingly bear his cross. And it says at the very bottom of that, Will you be his disciple? This was recently uncovered, um, dating back to history when Rome occupied Jerusalem, and it, it is the main artery that goes down from the, the upper city into uh, the Temple Mount area and the, the western wall. The Jewish quarter, this is at the crossway where Jesus carried the cross and towards the city gate. City of David. And this is looking at from the other side of the Temple Mount. Um, there's a whole archaeology site that was uncovered 
um, that was really the steps that led up to uh, Herod's temple that Herod the Great built in 4 uh, BC. And this is at the very bottom, just looking up towards the slopes of Mount Olivet. I had to get this track there. Do you know him? You know what's amazing to me? When people visit the Western Wall, everybody goes there and they, and they pray and they put their hand on the stone and they write these little notes and they stuff them in the cracks and, and famous people go there. Presidents of the United States go there. People from all over the world go there and they believe that this is the nearest that people can get to God. And they go to this place and they stuff all these little notes in. And so I left a few tracks. Do you know him? The greatest person who ever lived. The creator of the universe. The one and only savior, God's only son, who came to this place to die for sins. You know, when I was in Jerusalem, I just couldn't help myself. I asked people, do, do you know Jesus Christ? What does he mean to you? He's my savior. Let me tell you about him. Largely, people knew English, but were not interested. You know what they said? They said that's Christianity, which is the religion of America. That's what people said. So sad. So many people. So busy, passing on all the streets and missing him. Do you know him? This is what was the sheep gate that was called the Damascus gate that was called the Stephen gate. It is the gate that the Lord Jesus carried the cross through on his way outside the city to Golgotha. They say that it is the very place that Stephen was stoned. And so they actually have called it the Gate of Stephen. This is the Western Wall where so many people go to pray. This is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Now this is actually inside the wall, and it's where Roman Catholicism believed that Jesus was crucified, and they have really made it uh, a very religious spot where a lot of Roman Catholics and religious people flock to to see this place. But I don't believe that this is the place where Jesus was crucified. So, yeah, I just wanted to show it to you. This is uh, as evening set in on the top of Mount of Olivet, looking over all the graves that are there on the Mount of Olivet. They believe it's a holy site. And, and they don't, they have heard it prophesied that Messiah is going to come back. And, and people actually want to spend their whole life savings to get a grave plot right there on the Mount of Olives. And what was super interesting to me is one of these graves will go for over one million U.S. dollars just to get a grave plot there. And so it's pretty amazing that in some of these places, uh, these people that are following religion, they, re they really don't know Christ. This is um, where Jesus was uh, flogged. They call it the, uh, the place of flagellation and the place where Jesus was condemned by Pilate before actually taking his cross upon him and going out to Golgotha. This is um, the very site that we, I showed you that plaque earlier. And those steps are the wrong way. What's amazing to me is to go to this actual physical spot where the greatest event in history actually took place. And not that there's any you know, emotional or spiritual connection per se by being there, but the profound truth of the cross is, is impacting our thinking when we go to that spot. I've got three small slides that I want to bring up. And they're very simple, but I just wanted to just kind of get the, the top gist of what I wanted to share with you today. And I want you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 18.
You know, we have taken our journey um, in my messages speaking about the life and times of the Lord Jesus. We've considered his incarnation, his virgin birth, his sinless life. We've considered some of the miracles that Jesus did. We've considered his teaching. We've considered prophetic events that he unfolded on the Mount of Olives before going to the cross. We've spoken about his cleansing and the washing of the disciples' feet. We've spoken about the Lord's Supper. The last time that I spoke, we, we really talked about the, the impact of the Lord's Supper. We've spoken about Gethsemane, where Jesus went and prayed and, and really encountered the weight of our sin. And so today, I, I want to share with you a message about the cross. And I'm going to start in John chapter 18 and verse 37. Jesus is standing before Pilate at this point. And midway through that verse, he says, To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said unto him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said, I find no fault in him at all. Amazing words. And so you might find it curious that when you go to chapter 19, it says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. They scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth unto you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Verse 16, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, on either side one and Jesus in the center. And Pilate wrote a title. It was really a placard. And they put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near unto the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Drop down to verse 28. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And there was set a vessel full of vinegar. They filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, they besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified 
with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they broke not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and immediately there came out blood and water. And he that saw it bore witness. And his witness is true. And he knows that he saith truth that ye might believe. That ye might believe. I want to read one other verse. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This verse is very near and dear to my heart. 1 Corinthians 1 and 18. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them who are perishing foolishness, but unto us who are being saved. It is the power of God. The power of God. Where do I start? I want to share with you the message of the cross. The cross is the climax of history. It's the culmination of the ages. The cross reveals to us the effects of our own sin and the amazing character of God. The cross is the wisdom and power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes this message. You know, there is no greater message than the message of the cross. I feel this within the very depths and core of my being. There's no beautiful story. There's no amazing love. There's no deeper grace that God could show to a world of rebellious sinners than giving his own son to die for our sin. Can I say this? The cross is the loudest voice this world has ever heard. The cross is the greatest revelation that the world has ever witnessed when God spoke in giving his own son. That's what it says in Hebrews 1. God has spoken to this world when his son came to die. So much love. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes will never perish but have everlasting life. So much love. How deep the Father's love. How vast beyond measure that he would give his only son. Can you say it? To make a wretch his treasure. No greater love hath any man than this. A man lays down his life for his friends. No deeper grace. We heard about it this morning. So much love. So much truth. You know, I could, I could spend every Sunday for the next, the rest of my life and preach on the cross and I wouldn't plumb the depths of it. I wouldn't touch it. I read this book, and it said, 50 reasons why Jesus came to die on a cross. And I thought, 50? It's endless. This is a mighty ocean. The world is not big enough. Time is not long enough to expound the depths of the truth, of the mercy, of the wisdom, of the power of God demonstrated at the cross. And so, and so, those of us who know Jesus, we will spend the ages 
and the ages to come, that he might show unto us the exceeding riches of his grace in Christ Jesus. Could I just start by saying this? If you've never been to the cross, if you don't know Jesus, you need to get there. Because life begins at the cross. When death was arrested and my life began. We sang it this morning, so beautiful. This is rich, deep truth, and I wish I could tell it to you like it is. I can't. I want to divide my message into two parts. I want to touch briefly on the spiritual sufferings and the physical sufferings of the cross, but I really want to get to the spiritual truth of the cross. Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. I showed you that picture. Let's just go to the next slide. Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and maybe it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, 1 o'clock in the morning, somewhere around there. Unime did a great job of going through the trials of Christ a couple weeks ago. There was likely a strong cohort of soldiers that took him that night, maybe as much as five or 600 in a cohort. And they arrested him in the garden and they bound his hands and they walked him back to Caiaphas' house. And I showed you that Kidron Valley. Jesus would have walked down over that brook and through the Kidron Valley and up that hill on the way back to Caiaphas' house. It's probably about a 35-minute walk to the upper city. You could go there today. It's called Mount Zion. This is where the high priest had his house. Now, the high priest, they were notorious for their brutality, their greed, and their corruption. They were religious, but they controlled the people of that day up to a point under Roman authority. And Jesus is taken back to Caiaphas' house, and you remember those steps. I, I was thrilled when I stood at the bottom of those steps and just thought about that moment where Jesus walked up those steps. And Peter, he followed afar off. And John was with him. And John went with him into Caiaphas' house. And Peter is about to deny the Lord. Right there on those steps, there's a, there's a rooster. And the scripture reference about denying the Lord and the cock crowing. There's a prison cell in that house. And, and as the 72 members of the Sanhedrin would scurry about to try to put together a mock trial that Unime pointed out was illegal during the hours of the night. And they took Jesus and they put him in a holding cell. And we saw pictures of that holding cell. It's super interesting that in Isaiah 53, it says, he was taken from prison. Where was he in prison? At Caiaphas' house. And as the archaeologists uncovered that, there was holes in the wall where they would have tortured and beat prisoners. And Jesus was taken out of that cell and brought before the Sanhedrin. And in John 18 and 22, Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 23, four references, every gospel says this, they struck Jesus on the face. The officers that were there, they smote him. They punched him. In John chapter 18, they demanded that Jesus speak of his doctrine. And he said, I spoke openly to the world. I taught in the synagogues. Ask them that heard me. And one of the officers struck him in the face. And he said, why do you strike me? If I have spoken truth? And I think of that 
Amazing prophecy in Micah chapter 5, and it says, They shall smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. They smote him with their hands. From there, they took him to Pilate. He was questioned by Pilate, and Pilate was amazed at his silence. And the scripture says, as a lamb, before his shears is dumb, so opened he not his mouth. And finally, he opens his mouth and he says to Pilate, Pilate says, are you a king? He says, I am. To this end was I born, for this cause came I into the world. This is the climax of history. This is the plan of God for the ages. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you, me, all of us. This was the purpose, the plan, the wisdom of God. And to men today, it's foolishness. But unto us who have tasted, we know this is the power of God. This is the only hope for humanity. Jesus was taken from Pilate, and he was scourged. I, I, I cannot begin to tell you the intense suffering of scourging. How many people here have ever seen Passion of the Christ? That is a very good visual representation of the pain of scourging. They would strip the victim. There was actually Roman law and regulation that, that regulated all of the, the intense brutality of scourging. And it wasn't just 39. That's a Jewish context. For the Romans... They had people trained in torture until they opened the flesh. Many people died. This, this form of punishment was reserved for slaves, the worst of criminals, those who had committed treason. It was humiliating. It was intense, painful. And the scripture says, the plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. And so his body would have looked like an open field with plow, plow lines down his back and across the front. Intense suffering. Jesus was then taken to the Antonia Fortress and he was crowned with a crown of thorns. You can see those eastern thorns today. They're about four and a half, five inches some of them are three, some of them are four, some of them are five. And they pushed it down into his head. And they beat it down. And so they would have pierced into the very blood vessels of his skull. And blood would have flowed down. Then the Roman soldiers struck him. You know those, uh, those stones that I showed you? That was likely the very spot where the Roman soldiers with their hard, calloused hearts, would have buffeted the Lord Jesus. And he stood there silent, and he took it all. And then they decided to mock him with the grotesque mockery of spitting in his face. You know that the scripture says that his face was covered in spittle. Not only for the Jews, but for the Romans, this was the most shameful way to illustrate the hardness of their heart that they would spit upon his face. And afterwards, he carried that cross. You know, they say that it was anywhere from 180 to 200 pounds. That's a heavy piece of wood. They would put that on his back, and he left the fortress of Antonia and started going down the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows. And, and some of those stones are there today where the very blood of Emmanuel dropped on those stones. And the crowds lined the streets, and he had a, a, a placard hanging over his head is what they did with the accusation 
This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And then they take him outside the city. Hebrews says that he suffered without the gate. His blood was shed outside the city gate. And as he's walking down the streets, the women are crying. And he says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. You don't know what's coming. They take him out, and his hands are stretched till his arms are pulled right out of their socket. With Roman spikes, they nail his hands and his feet. And Psalm 22 said 800 years before, they pierced my hands and my feet. And then they lifted him up on the cross, and they gambled for his clothes, and they mocked him. And then the Jewish Sanhedrin, the leaders, would come and mock him. If you're the Christ, why don't you come down from the cross? Save yourself and us. The people of that day, oh, they had no idea. Do you know what they said? His blood be on us and on our children for generations to come. You know, I am horrified, literally, when I hear the way people blaspheme Jesus Christ today on the streets. I spoke to a girl on Friday night. She said she was raised in a Christian home. The blasphemy that came out of her, her mouth was horrifying. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Nobody wanted to be associated with this man. And alone, he dies on Calvary. Nine o'clock in the morning, he's crucified. There's darkness over all the earth, the scripture says. From the sixth to the ninth hour. And that darkness set in, and God Almighty took the sin of the world, and he poured it out on Jesus. And he died so that sinners could be redeemed to God. There's so many more things I could say. John chapter 19 and verse 30, he cried with a loud voice and he said, it is finished. There are four things that I want to tell you that I think are critical. Can we go to the next slide? The spiritual truth of the cross is the most important message that you can hear your whole entire life. There's nothing greater than this. And I want to ask everybody, don't miss it. You know, there's a lot of religious people, and, and they think about the physical sufferings of Christ. And they have their beads. And they go through the rituals. We had a guy that we met at the turning point on Friday night. Dear man called Gordon, he's 71 and he's full of cancer. And uh, Christian and I spoke to him. He was out behind a dumpster at the turning point on Friday night. We were down there and we told him the gospel. And, and Christian said to him, if you die, are you going to heaven or hell? And he said, I think I'm going to go to heaven. Why? Because I'm a good person. And because I, I, I've worked hard for people that I never got paid. And then he brought this symbol out, and it had the Virgin Mary on it, and it had a few other things. And he said, I carry this with me. Let me just tell you something. There's a lot of people that have religion. They don't have Christ. There's a lot of people that are following empty ritual and they've never been to the cross. They've never understood the deep spiritual truth of the cross. And if all you know and hear is the intense physical sufferings of Christ, if you don't identify with it, if it doesn't hit you in your heart, if you've never repented of your sin, and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you'll know all that, and you'll die in your sins, and you'll go to hell. Please, let me tell you the spiritual truth of the cross. 
At the cross, God made provision for the forgiveness of our sins. At the cross, Christ paid the debt of our sin. I want to share with you Colossians 2. I'm going to read it from this version because I think it's beautiful. Here's what it says. Colossians 2 and 13. This is the spiritual truth of the cross. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. Listen. He forgave us all our sins. How many? All. Even the ones I haven't committed? All. All our sins. He is able to forgive because of the cross. Listen to this, these words. Having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. What happened at the cross? God took my sins, your sins, and he nailed it to the cross. And he offers forgiveness to everyone who believes. Do you understand this spiritual truth? It is critical. Listen, the greatest lie that has ever been told is that our good deeds will outweigh our bad deeds. That's the greatest lie. It's foolishness. It's nonsense. Nothing you or I could ever do would outweigh the deeds that we've committed. No. Your sins and mine cost the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. The only way our sin could be forgiven. To bring forgiveness, he had to cancel the record of the law that condemns us. The law condemns everyone. Absolutely everyone. And the law brings death. The soul that sinneth, he shall die. The wages of sin is death. That's why Jesus Christ had to die for our sins in order to cancel the debt. Ephesians 1 and 7 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. That's what happened at the cross. His blood was shed. So our sins could be forgiven. You know, on, uh, on Friday night, I, I love to sing. I, I'm not a good singer, just in case you didn't know already. But I love to sing. And we were out there on Pizza Corner, and we were singing. And I thought of this verse that we sang. All the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the full was nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. I don't want to get emotional, but I'm going to tell you this. If you have ever personally experienced the forgiveness of your sins, there is a joy that wells up in your heart where you want to raise your hands to God, and you want to say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. The spiritual truth of the cross is that he can give you forgiveness of sins and erase the record of debt. For every believer, thank God it's gone. Next, the spiritual truth of the cross is this. Substitution and the ransom price for atonement. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, the scripture says this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a little word that, I don't know if you've ever noticed it. I learned something today too, David. A little word, it's a preparation, um, it's, it's that little word for, um, a preposition, and in the Greek, it actually is hooper, and it means instead of. That little word for, hooper in the Greek, Preposition, it means instead of. And so if you put that in, Christ died instead 
of us. Romans 8 and 32, he spared not his own son, but he delivered him up instead of us, for us. Mark 8 and, or Mark 10 and 45, he came to give his life a ransom in the stead of us. He came to give his life for us in our stead. 1 Timothy 2 and 6 says, The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all instead of all. And so six times the scripture teaches this incredible truth of substitution, that Christ died in my stead. And Peter got that truth really well. Who his own self bear our sins? And we say, my sins in his own body on the tree. You know that the blood was the ransom price. He gave himself his own life as the ransom. You know, we speak about blood, and I, I read that, that, that passage in John 19 where that soldier came with a spear and pierced his side, and blood, blood flowed out and water. And it says, he that saw it bear record, and this is true. Why was he pointing out how critical it was that the blood flowed? Because it speaks of his life. It speaks that his life was poured out. It speaks of violence. It speaks of the awfulness of sin, the cost of sin. But it is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures, of all the Old Testament sacrifices that died on Jewish altars. They all pointed forward to that one critical moment when the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, was shed for us, and it cleanses us from all sin. You know what else we have as, as truth for the cross? Peace and reconciliation. Clyde did a great job this morning of unfolding that in, in Ephesians chapter 2, but there's a parallel passage in Colossians 1 at 20, and it says this, Having made peace through the blood of his cross to reconcile all things unto himself. Why was there the cross? So that there could be peace made with God between my soul and God. I'm going to tell you two things. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're an enemy of God and you're separated from God. That's what the scripture says. When we were enemies by our wicked behavior, separated from God. We were afar off, as we heard this morning. But because of the blood of the cross, we've been reconciled. We've been brought nigh. We have become children of God because of the cross to reconcile all things unto himself. So what does that mean? It means now we're no longer enemies. We are children of God. We're no longer separated. We're brought nigh. We are one with Christ. And so we have peace and reconciliation. And here's the last thought. We are justified. Justified. I don't know how perfect you think you are. <laughs> I am so far from perfect. I have so many flaws in my life. And I think if we're all honest, we'll all say that. And we, and we see patterns in our life where we slip back into sin. But here's the truth of the cross. If you believed in Jesus, and if you've taken this for yourself personally, you are justified, justified, declared righteous in the sight of God. There's nothing greater. Romans chapter four and verse 25. This is the work of the cross. He was delivered up for our offenses. That's all the crimes of sin that you've committed against God. He was delivered up for our offenses, but he was raised again for our justification. And the truth of the gospel, Romans 3 and 23, it says that we are justified freely by his blood through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, where he has been satisfied with that sin atoning work 
to make me right with God. You know, I'm walking out of here a free man. I am, I am cleansed from guilt. I have a standing of righteousness in God and Christ Jesus, and so do you. Every single person that has believed on Jesus and trusted him as their Savior is justified freely. Didn't cost you a dime. Not one cent. It cost God everything. It cost God his only well-beloved son, the precious blood of Christ. This is the truth of the cross, justified freely by his blood, redeemed to God. 2 Corinthians 5 illustrates that truth so clearly that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we can be made righteous in the sight of God. I'm so thankful that I understand the truth of the cross, and I wish I could tell you clearer about the truth of the cross. I could, I could preach it forever. It is amazing, amazing, deep, profound truth. All I can tell you is this. My passport to the realms of bliss is Jesus died for me. That's the only way I'm going to heaven. And I hope and I trust that everyone today has been to the cross and personally identified with Jesus Christ as their Savior and trusted him. And you come into the wealth, the eternal wealth of knowing your sins forgiven, have an eternal life. Your sins are gone. You're justified. You have peace with God. And you can walk out of here today rejoicing, thrilled with the fact that you have eternal life. And so I want to close in prayer, and then I want to sing one hymn. And I'm, I'm thinking of that hymn, I think it's 254 in the new book, uh, The Power of the Cross. And it really illustrates some of the truth that we've been talking about today. So let's pray. We'll sing that hymn, and I hope everybody has a great day.